Amen. The Lord is good. The Lord's word is good. You know, we're going to continue on this series uh, of deepening our relationship with God and with other people. And one of the greatest challenges, I think, in deepening our relationship with God is dealing with fear. But it's also the same thing that hinders us from having deep relationships with other people. Fear. Fear is a uh, dilapidating emotion. It can freeze us. It can cause us to not be able to do what God has called us to do. Now, the Bible says fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's only the beginning. The beginning of understanding and recognizing that we serve an awesome God, that he loves us and he cares about us, but then the next thing that he wants us to do is go deeper in his love because he wants us to acknowledge that he is all loving, he's all kind, and we can trust him. But you know what? If we're only motivated to please God out of fear because he might punish us if we don't, then we're not really experiencing the gospel as Jesus declared it to be. We're living in a fear-based religion, and that's what we talked about last week. So we we have to understand that God, first, he deeply loves us. He really does. And it's based on what Jesus Christ did at the cross for us. God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son. And so when we look at 1 John, and he was an eyewitness to what Jesus said and did, he writes this letter to a church, and he writes it also to us because it was passed down for 2,000 years right to us in its original form. We can trust that it's true. But it's the same truth that applies to us today. And it's a cyclical pattern that John writes. He writes, he doesn't write in a linear, logical manner. If you read the book of 1 John, it seems like you're reading the same thing over and over and over again. It's you know, like God forgives us, God loves us, love other people, and he says it over and over again. It's almost like he is, if you look at it and you read it slowly and you think about it, he's like digging this foundation that you can build your life on, and he's widening and he's expanding it, and then he's laying down the bricks that will hold you and and stabilize you in every situation in your life. So it's a fascinating book. But he does talk about fear. And fear that he's talking about is often disguised in the form of insecurity. Fear can be disguised in the form of shyness or even quietness. I was very fearful, but people didn't know I was fearful because I could hide it well. There's times when we're fearful and nobody knows we're fearful, but we're trembling inside. And there's times when God calls us to go beyond that fear. It can be a lack of confidence. But it also can be that we are so full of fear that we lack compassion. And in the very first message of this series, I talked about the Good Samaritan. And we had the Levite and the priest, the priest and the Levite, who walked past the man who was suffering. And there might have been a lot of motives for why they did that, but fear was one of, probably one of the emotions that they were sensing was that I can't help them because what if I can't help that person? And so fear can cause us to not move forward in God's love. So what does God want us to do? 
The letter of 1 John tells us this, and let me just go through a few of these verses as we go through this like cyclical pattern of what the, the theology beyond 1 John, and it says this, but if we walk in the light, he is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So he's saying if we walk in the light as God is in the light, he's going to expose our fears. And remember, we said the key to being set free from fear is to be aware of our fears. So when we walk in the light and when we walk with God and we begin to see things as they really are, and if we are being um, influenced by fear, God will reveal that to us. He'll show you that. And I hope that you've been challenged this week. Am I living in fear or am I living in the love and the confidence of God? And then it says that his blood can cleanse us from all sin and purify us. And then we have fellowship with one another. So he's saying that this love that we have with God, it actually moves across into our relationships. If we're truly filled with the love of God, it's going to impact how we relate to one another. And it's going to be in love and forgiveness. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Now that's crazy to be in the darkness and not even aware of it. But John is saying if you're walking in the light but then you hate your brother or sister, you're still in the darkness. No, I thought it was in the light. No, you're in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So John emphasizes what Jesus taught. Hatred with others will lead us to disconnectedness with God. That if things aren't in line in our relationships with other people... It can have an effect in our relationship with God. If we have hatred in our heart, it's very hard to experience the love and the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. I was just reading a, a book, uh, a new book that I've started, 13 Days in Ferguson. It's written by Ron Johnson. It's a fascinating story about I don't know if you remember the riots that happened in Ferguson in 2014, but it was in Ferguson, uh, uh, Missouri. And what happened is that uh, a fellow named uh, Michael Brown was shot and killed by a police officer. His body laid on the ground for four hours, and nobody was, everybody was afraid to go and pick up the body. People were rioting, and it just grew. The fear and the disrespect that people felt in that city just began to multiply and people began to act out in fear and in violence. And Ron Johnson, who was a leader in the state uh, troopers there in Missouri, was asked to come in after three days and take over. And uh, he actually was a, he's actually a believer in Christ and he actually used love to diffuse fear. He walked around, he took off, they, he asked all the police officers to take off their riot gear, their shields, they looked like soldiers, and he said, I want you to take that all off and become police officers that care about people. 
and start to interact with these people and listen to their stories. And he led it. And it, it diffused the entire riots there. It took time, but it diffused it. And after the calm had been restored, he was in a restaurant with his family, and he's sitting down, and he's having dinner with his family. And a couple tables over, there's these four large white guys, skinheads, dressed in fatigues with jack boots on, and uh, just drinking beer, laughing, and having a good old time. And then one of them looks over at Ron Johnson. And Ron Johnson gets this sense, this guy, these guys are after me and my family because they don't like what happened, what I said, what I did. Because he called people out for prejudice and racism. So he um, tells his family, I want you to leave. I want you to go out of the restaurant quietly right now. I'll get the bill, and I'll join you in a little while, but I have to deal with this. And his daughter says, you know, do you want me to do something? He goes, no, no, just go. His, they were adult children. And so um, he goes, and he, he asks for the check, and the waitress comes, and uh, he looks over at the table again, and the guy is staring at him again. One of these skinheads is staring at him. And he says, okay, this is it. This is the confrontation. I knew it was going to happen. I knew somebody was going to come after me sometime for what I did in Ferguson. Somebody that is on the other side. And this is going to be an all-out confrontation. And so he thinks about calling for backup, but he says, no, I'll just handle this myself. And so the waitress comes over, and he goes, uh, let me have the bill. And she goes, it's paid for. And he goes, well, who paid for it? They want to remain anonymous. And so he scans the room and he looks at, he's trying to find somebody that he knows that would have paid for his bill. You know, maybe a fellow police officer or something like that. And he begins to think, uh, oh, it can't be those guys. I know they're after me because of my uniform and because of my skin color. And um, so he says uh, to her, come on, tell me. I, she says, well, he, she, he points, she points. And he goes, where? Yes. What do you mean, where? Who paid for my check? Can you please tell me? She says, as like a ventriloquist, it's the guys over there, it's the four guys. The four guys laughing. And he goes, really? And so he gets up. He says he doesn't know how he got to that table, but he went up to the table, and he walked up to them, and he said, I'm sorry to interrupt your dinner. I just wanted to say thank you for paying my bill. And then one of the guys at the table says, well, you're welcome. And he says, but why did you do it? Uh, because we appreciate what you did. We live here in Ferguson. And one by one, he shakes their hands. And this is what he says. I walk out, but before I do, I look back at four young white guys with shaved heads, dressed in full camouflage and jackboots, laughing too loud and pounding beers. The last guys I would ever expect to buy me and my family dinner. I feel embarrassed. I feel small. 
I've had the confrontation I expected. What I didn't expect was the confrontation would be between myself and my own bias and fears. I experienced firsthand how suddenly we cross over into presumption and even paranoia and fear. We're all biased in some ways, every one of us. It's what we do with our bias and fears that matters. We can't let it affect our attitudes, influence our decisions, or inform our behaviors. Isn't that powerful? As I'm reading this book, I see the insight. I see why they put this state trooper and God sovereignly placed him because he has a way of understanding and empathizing with people that are different than him. And then he's also aware and self-aware to know what his own fears and biases are as well. And he's being made mature in God's love. It's that perfect love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says this, We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Those are strong words. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Are you kidding me, John? What are you saying? He's saying you're spiritually dead. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, the Lord calls us to walk in his light and his love daily. Despite our fears, our biases, and our prejudices, he wants us to be full of his love, be full of his wisdom. And that's why 1 John 4, 8, as we go through this letter quickly, there's no fear in love. And I said this in the amplified version of the Bible. There's no fear in love. Dread does not exist, but perfect, complete, full-grown love drives out fear because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. So the one who is afraid of God's judgment is not perfected in love, has not grown into a sufficient understanding of God's love. John's not talking about perfectionism. We already talked about that last week. Perfectionism is, uh, is fear-based, usually. It's fear-based because we want to be so perfect we don't want to fail. It's fear-based. But John is talking about a love, and it's used, the, the Greek word actually means full or mature or complete. It fills us, God's love fills us with this understanding that we didn't have before. The beauty of the gospel is this, that we can know God, that God knows us intimately. He knows us intimately. He knows everything about us, even our biases, even our fears. He knows us fully, and he fully accepts us, and he fully loves us, and he teaches us how to fully love and accept other people. And that's what he wants us to understand and know. Last week I talked about this quote by Tim Keller, to be loved but not known is comforting, but it's superficial, Right? If we, if we are known but not, uh, if we're loved but not really truly known, we can be loved but it's kind of superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. And this is what um, that police officer felt. 
he was known, uh, but he wasn't loved, or, or though he thought so. And it changed his whole outlook and how he acted or was thinking about those four guys across from the table from him. But to be fully known and truly loved as well, it's a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from our pretense, our prejudices, our biases. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. We think that we're better than other people. And it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. But where can you experience this kind of love? Where are you going to experience this love? Where can you experience this love? First, it begins with our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the basis. And that's what John delights in. That's what he's talking about. But then he says it's got to carry over into your relationships with your family, with your parents. It's, it has to move beyond just the theoretical with God or just the experience with God. It's, God is going to move you to then love others the way that he has loved you. So John tells us there's two motivating factors at work within us. One is fear, the other is love. Fear manifests itself in insecurity, self-protection, blaming others, biases, prejudices, withdrawing, hiding from others. And we live, when we live in fear like that, we often live in isolation. We don't want, we put up walls. Have you ever been around people that put up walls? I don't want to. I'm not going to let you in that area of my life. I'm not going to, I can't. It's very hard to love somebody like that. It's also very difficult to say that you're a believer in Christ and then have hate or bitterness in your heart. It's an oxymoron. You can't be a hate-filled Christian or a Christian who does not love certain people. I only love this type of people. That's, that can't be, not for us as believers in Christ. Where did John get this, these ideas from? I believe he got them directly from hanging out with Jesus. I mean, Jesus was actually able to cross all cultures, all barriers, all the walls that people put up and he was able to break them down and love people truly the way that God, his Father, had loved him. Matthew, one of Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount, says this, Matthew 5, 21 and 22. He starts out with this. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister... Raka is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of fire of hell. Wow, that's powerful. Jesus said, he takes, takes the sixth commandment and quotes it, pretty much quotes it, but he's expanding on its meaning. And if you look in the Old Testament, there was the sanctity of human life. Life was respected. If you took a life... Uh, life was taken, usually. But there was this sense that life was very important. And we are to protect each other's lives. And we're to uh, 
to um, guard and create a safe place for each other. That was the idea. You shall not murder. Don't murder, but love people. And when you look at this, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Meaning that if, we're, if we remain angry, it's actually harming our spirit and our soul. I thought Jesus, is, he's so wise and understanding. He lets us know exactly what we need for our soul to remain healthy. Any of you who says to a brother or sister, and you may have done this, I used to do it when I was a kid, raka, I didn't use the word raka, but you know what that means? It means empty-headed, stupid, a moron. You can fill up a bunch of names. You may have called your brother or sister, I don't know. But when we grew up with four boys in our family, we all, you know, we just let each other have it. And it wasn't good. It's not helpful. Jesus goes so far to say, if you live like this, if you say to anyone, you fool, you'll be in danger of hell. And sometimes what we do is we take our words and we use them like a knife to put down somebody. We don't realize the damage that we're doing. In some way, we are taking away their God-given, unique, uh, uniquely gifted personality and person that they are and labeling them something less than that. We assassinate their character. We assassinate who they are and we put a label on them. And this happens, unfortunately, this happens among even believers. Even it can happen, you know, you, you hear something about somebody, and then you tell it to somebody else, and then you tell it to somebody, yeah, you know this guy? Yeah, he's a real jerk. Well, this is what he said to me. Yeah, well, let me tell you this. This is what he did to me, and I heard to Sally what he did to Sally. And then we make it up, and, we, and pretty soon this person is no longer worthy of our time, attention, or fellowship, or anything. And it's all based on, this is what this person said. It continues on. This can happen in a youth group. It can happen in a church. It can happen in a family. It can happen in an extended family. Pretty soon, people are no longer talking to one another. They've cut each other off, and they say, this person is not worthy of my respect, my time, my love. And Jesus saying, no. Even if you call somebody a fool, you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. He uses strong words. And then he goes on to say this, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. He's saying, I'm not concerned about so much your sacrifices and what you're doing to please me or to show that you please me through sacrifices or gifts or anything like that, I want you to go back and try to do reconciliation with that person that you've cut off. Now, you know and I know that doesn't always go. That doesn't always, doesn't, people don't always live happily ever after anymore, right? You go and apologize to somebody and then they, 
can slam the phone on you or uh, hang up or don't respond. And so we say, well, it's just not worth it. See, it doesn't work. Well, I want to tell you, it does work. If we're persistent, if we have God's wisdom, if we show God's love consistently over time, we can rebuild a relationship. And that was revolutionary in Jesus' day. He taught something radical. When he taught this, it was radical. Because people had, had been so used to just doing their own thing, going their own way living their own way, making up their biases, their prejudices, their uh, judgments on people. Instead of suspending judgment, they, they judged and they regulated people outside of their life. You know, this week I was in Buffalo with my mom, who's now 93, praise God. She's still uh, going strong. But, you know, uh, this week she was in tears sharing with my wife, Lori. I was out, I think I was out golfing with my brother. And um, she said, you know, I just want the boys to still get together after I die. I want them to be a family still. I'm so afraid that they'll just forget about each other. And they'll go their own way. And she, was, you know, she had this tremendous fear. Why? Because she's seen it. In her family, she's seen it with her friends. She's seen it in other families where people just cut each other off for whatever reason. It could be an offense. It could be what somebody said. Something happened. But you know how Lori, Lori responded in loving confidence, said, don't worry, we're always going to love. Uh, Al's always going to love his brothers. We'll always be around. You see what happens uh, when misunderstandings are never resolved, relationships are broken. Sometimes they're cut off. Do you have any relationships like this? Do you? I'm sure every family does. Well, this is what John says about that. He says, we love because he first loved us. We love not because the other person loves us, but because God has first loved us and given us the power then to love others. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Now you can say, well, I don't really hate them. I just don't like them. Well, let's include that in there too. Because if you continue not to like them pretty soon, the relationship's going to be cut off. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So you don't have to like somebody to love them. But you have to love them. See, John links our relationship with God to be worked out in our earthly relationships. It's part of being a follower of Jesus that we have to love other people that are different than us, that bug us, that offend us sometimes, that misunderstand us, that sometimes disrespect us. He calls us to a greater love. I was reading another book a long time ago. It's called The DNA of Relationships by uh, Gary and Greg Smalley, father and son team. Uh, Gary has now passed away. He's with the Lord in heaven, but they wrote a, um, a book about the DNA of relationships, what's so very necessary. And in it, they talk about 
the fear dance. And the fear dance is, no, it's not like that. Just waking you up. Just want to wake you up. <laughs> I got you, Megan. <laughs> the fear dance is not a dance like that. The fear dance is this, and uh, let me share it with you. The fear dance, an illustration. But I don't know if you can see this, but it says that it begins with a hurt that I hurt. I think of a range of emotions when we get hurt. When we're disrespected, when we're unloved, when there's sadness or disconnection, anger, confusion, worry, rage, frustration, embarrassment, uh, there's negative self-talk, or then we also build up a case against another person. So when I hurt, immediately I go into this, I can go into this dance. And then the next step is I want. I want. I want a solution. We expect people, places, and things to satisfy us, and they don't fully. In fact, if people hurt us, they disappoint us. Sometimes we spin the conflict and say, if only I had a different parent, if only I had a different spouse, if only I had a different boss, if only I had a different teacher, if only I had a different church, if only I had a different pastor. The end of the sentence is always, then I would be happy, satisfied, things would change. I want, our expectations aren't met. So what happens next? Then I fear. I fear. What is said or done hits our fear button. What that person says or does pushes a button inside our soul that springs out fear. I fear. I hurt. I want. I fear. That person doesn't think I'm smart enough, good enough. I'm losing connection. I'm losing control. I'm beginning to fear. That's what's happening to my mom. I'm beginning to fear. And then I react. You say or do things that will calm your fear. We can become defensive. We can become argumentative. We can become passive aggressive. Some people will just build a wall up. Okay, you're not going to hurt me anymore. Men, we're really good at this. We go walking outside. I got to take a walk. We walk. We walk for hours. You know, we can, we can just shut down completely, just be completely silent. Okay, I'm just not going to talk. I'm not going to talk to this person for the next hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. Some people don't talk for days. What's happening? They're doing the fear dance. I'll pay you back. I won't even talk to you. I'm not even going to respond to you. Because if I respond, you're going to react. I fear, I react, you, and then what happens? The thing happens is that, uh, whoops, we end up, I react. And because I react, I say something that pushes your fear button. Then you are hurt. And then you want, and then you work it out in your mind, share your fear, and then I react. And then it gets bigger. And so the conflict that started out very small goes bigger and bigger and bigger. And the things that we say and the things that we do, we should have never done. Because they're acting out of fear. And fear will make you say things and do things that are very offensive, very crazy.
Ron Johnson almost, remember Ron Johnson in the police? He almost reacted in fear, and it would have been a confrontation. But what he does, he looks inward and he says, oh my goodness, I need to confront my own fears that I have inside me. Why am I reacting like this so much? Why does this bother me so much? James already talks about this in the Bible. I mean, you could, this isn't just come from Gary Smalley and Greg Smalley. It's in the Bible. Listen to this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Don't they come from those things that are going on inside of you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. It's this idea of wanting and not having those needs met. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. How many times have we prayed, Lord, you need to change that person. If you would change them, I could love them. And all of a sudden, God is saying, pointing right back to us and saying, you need to change. I've placed my love within you. I've placed my Holy Spirit within you. You have all the resources that you need to be light and love in this situation. I'm not saying that every confrontation we have and every conflict that we have is going to be resolved in a healthy way. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying your fear buttons don't have to be pushed every time you see that person. You don't have to react the same way either putting up a wall or running away or being argumentative and frustrated. God can change that. I go back to that song by Zach Williams. But he starts off, we saw that chorus last week, I emphasized it, but this is what the verses are. When he told you you're not good enough, when he told you you're not right, when he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight, when he told you you're not worthy, when he told you you're not loved, when he told you you're not beautiful, that you'll never be enough. Fear is a liar. He will take your breath, stop you in your steps. Fear is a liar. He will rob your rest, steal your happiness, cast your fear in the fire, because fear is a liar. Isn't that true? That's so powerful. There are people that say these things to us, but fear emphasizes them, makes them become truth to us. We own them, we live with them, we believe them, and then we act on it. And it's completely what God does not want us to do. He has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Anyone who loves God. And so when we want to love the Lord, he's going to give us opportunity to love people that are hard to love. God brings those people in our life. They're in our lives even right now. They're in our lives. And we need to love them. The, the first part is not letting them. 
not reacting in fear to them. So here's some action steps to deepen your relationships. What are you dancing to? Are you doing the fear dance with somebody? Stop. <laughs> Stop. Stop. Do, determine to love. Determine as far as it depends upon you to love that person. Stop the fear dance. Take responsibility for your part in the conflict. Stop the fear dance. Own what you have done in the relationship. Own it. Speak it out. Ask for forgiveness. Jesus said, leave your gift there at the altar. Go and be reconciled. Go and talk to that person and say, look it, this is what I've done. Even if they don't respond, well, this is what I've done. They might respond and say, see, I told you. Oh, doesn't that just irk you when that happens? Well, thanks for apologizing. I knew you did the wrong thing. <laughs> Man, that could press your fear button again. You'd be doing the dance again. But you don't. Jesus says, love them. Let them discover what they need. Pray for them. Stop the fear dance. Take responsibility for your part in the conflict. And overcome evil with good. Romans 12, verses 17 and 18 says this. Do not repay anyone for evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We overcome evil with good. We don't overcome evil with evil. We don't overcome fear or brokenness in a relationship with breaking somebody else or saying the word that will cause them to stop arguing with us because we really have something on them that'll really stick it to them. No, diffuse it. Diffuse it. Act in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word to us today. Lord, this is uh, difficult to live out. And it's impossible to live out without being full of your love and being set free from fear. So, Lord, we thank you that you call us to this. And the very thing that you call us to do, you will work within us as we work with you and we work out our salvation. Lord, we ask that you will um, cause us to follow after you, to love you, and then to love the people around us with the strength that you give, with the wisdom that you give, with humility, with real love that is disarming. And Lord, help us to create safe places in our relationships where people can be honest and humble and loving with each other. Lord, would you do that work in us? Will you give us opportunities even this week with family members, with friends, with brothers and sisters, even with uh, people that we work with or people we hang out with? Lord, we pray that we'll be um, instruments of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.